Pardon? Couldn't train the class, huh? Oh, we had another one this morning. Yeah, right here it is. He put it on the road. Oh, you already got it. All right. You're okay. Thank you, Winston. Get some cord over here. Go over to the blackboard. I don't know about you guys, but I think we've had a, a full day already, and uh, our cups are probably overflowing. It's uh, it's been challenging to interact with Walt and and take in some of these things that hopefully now we can discuss with each other and and see how we might try to walk that out in the marketplace and. Uh, just the testimony from Ed, and it's a beautiful way that the Lord has worked in his life. And let me just say that I am here as one of you who is in the process of, of trying to work some of these things out in the marketplace and, and uh, feeling a degree of success at times and uh, feeling a lot of tripping and falling at other times. And what I'd like us to do over the next hour, I've got... I've got two principles that I would like to share that have been very helpful to me in attempting to, to try to keep on focus as we attempt to be God's men in the marketplace. And then from that, I want to share some, some practical uh, ministry methods that uh, we have employed in San Diego, a group of us there, that. Uh, you may be doing here, some of it may be new, but we can kind of interact around some of the practical how-tos. Before we do that, let's just have a word of prayer if we could. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us today to be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. We thank you for the ministry that the Spirit of God has in not only teaching us, but then enabling us to live out the things that you bring home to our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I think that the first principle that I'd like to, to share and I think a very important one, because I think that we need something to help keep us on track. When we get out into the, into the marketplace, into our communities, into our homes, uh, wherever it is we're attempting to really represent Christ. And you guys know as well as I do that there are a lot of distractions. There's a lot of pressures. The pull of the world and its value system is... Uh, unrelenting in the business that I'm in, and I'm sure that it's the same for you. That we go out there with the attitude of demonstrating our commitment to Christ, our commitment to the eternal, as Walt has been talking about, but we're called upon to do it in the environment of the temporal. We're called upon to do it in an environment that's value system is very different and at times very attractive and we're, we're out there and we're to compete and and all of these things that the world says that we need to do 
And it, it's very difficult at times to keep on track, to keep our focus on the eternal. And it's easy uh, to find ourselves getting entangled in the, in, in the world around us. And I think that one of the things that is key to helping us on keep on track is to have a clear understanding of our vision and our calling. To come before God and determine before God what it is that he wants us to do. And you don't need to turn to it, but in Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul did this when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. And in verse 10, one of the questions that he asked is he said, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? It was a personal thing between him and God. And he was, I believe, coming to God with all of the baggage that he brought into his Christian life, which we're aware of by, by reading the epistles and particularly uh, uh, Philippians and other areas of being a persecutor of the church and, and really uh, anti-Christianity. And Paul has this encounter with Christ and with a willing heart he comes before God and he says, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Based on, on my gifts and abilities, based on my place in life, based on my background, the exposure I've had, the, the, the area of influence that I have. Lord, based on the way you've made me, how do you want to use me? And I believe that that is a, an, an honest question that if we have never gone before the Lord with that, that we need to consider doing that. Lord, how do you want to use me? What is it you want me to do? And the great need that we have, I believe, to be effective in the marketplace is to, number one, understand the program of God and then to participate with him in that program. So we understand the program of God is what Walt's been dealing with in this last session. But then, to not only understand it, but to say, Lord, how do I fit into it? How do I buy into the action? How do I participate with you? And the answer to that question is not going to be a simple one. It's going to require that we, that we take a look at our life, that we determine our gifts and abilities and, and, and the place in life where God has put us and the interest that we have in things. And as we bring all those things together, I believe that God will give us direction in the area of, of crystallizing our personal vision and calling in terms of the ministry. Now, I believe that, that God already has his program. So when we talk about doing that, we're not talking about redefining what the ministry is. God has his program, and he doesn't need us in order to accomplish it. But as an act of his grace, he comes to us and he says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to participate with me in it. It's kind of like God doesn't need us in order to fulfill his ministry, but we need him to offer us the opportunity to participate. And it's kind of like a, a moving train. 
and the moving train represents the ministry, and God says, you know, I really want you to jump on. I really want you to come on board. And you got gifts, and you got abilities, and you got a sphere of influence, and you got a place in life, and you got all of these things that make you unique. And I have a place for you in this ministry. So I, I want you to come on board, but I'm not going to force you to. And if you decide not to, the train's going anyway. And so I think we have to see the ministry as uh, it, it, it's really a product of God's grace, of, of offering us the opportunity to participate with him in that process. I'd like us to turn for a minute to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I think that, for me anyway, in, in, in my attempts to try to flesh out in the marketplace what it means to represent Christ, what it means to uh, win people to Christ, to be involved in evangelism and discipleship and all these things. And this verse has been uh, a verse that has been very foundational to, to, to my thinking and has also been a, a verse that has in, in many ways freed me up, I think, to participate with God. First Peter 3, chapter 5, or 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Peter says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone that asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I would just like to make a couple observations from that verse, because I, I think it's a verse that if we want to go out into the marketplace and demonstrate our commitment to the eternal, in the context of the temporal, we need to work through this verse. We need to come to grips with this verse. And I believe it carries with it a couple significant factors. The first is that we need to come to grips personally with the Lordship of Christ in our life. Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. It's got to be more than just an external uh, involvement, uh, an external action that we're, that we're involved in. It's, it's got to be the inward heart. Peter says, set Christ apart as Lord in your life. That is foundational to being a witness for Christ. And obviously, if we're going to be an ambassador for Christ, he needs to be our Lord. So we need to come to grips with the Lordship of Christ in our own life. Secondly, the verse says that we need to be ready. And I believe that that involves preparation. We need to be prepared. We need to have a knowledge of the Word of God. We need to be in tune with Christ in our life. And I think that the verse specifically brings out the idea of understanding our hope, as we attempt to be prepared, as we attempt to, to, to have an understanding of Scripture in our life so that we can respond 
to the needs of people around us. Peter specifically brings out the issue of hope. And, and I've thought about that, and I've thought about that. Why does Peter bring out the issue of hope? And one conclusion I have, and, and, and maybe there are more, but I believe that as we attempt to be salt and light out in the marketplace, as we attempt to live a life that is distinct and different, for, and, and, and have that be a part of our witness, an integral part of our witness, I think that one of the key factors is that the circumstances of life for the believer and the unbeliever will be basically the same. As, as believers, we will face many of the same circumstances of life, maybe worse circumstances. We're we not excluded from that because of our faith in Christ. But the thing that distinguishes us from the unbeliever is hope. That is the thing that draws the distinction. And I think that that's why Peter has targeted in on that word in this area of, of, of being prepared and having an understanding of our hope. And I'll tell you, if you've never just kind of written out what you believe your hope to be, and Peter says that we're supposed to be ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that's within us. And we need to know what that hope is. Now, Obviously, our ultimate hope is that we will spend eternity with Christ. But you could start in Genesis and go all the way through to the book of Revelation, and you could list pages of verses that demonstrated our hope. Verses like Jeremiah 29, where it says, God says, I know the, I know the plans I have for you. Plans of welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those verses make up our hope system. The verses that demonstrate the promises and the character of God. And I believe that that is, that is an integral part of our ability to, to represent Christ in the marketplace. To work through and have a, an understanding in our heart of our hope. And then the third observation from this verse is a willingness to be an ambassador for Christ to the extent that we share with the people around us. That we not just take the attitude that we want to witness by our lifestyle alone, but that we're willing to give a reason for the hope that's within us. And if you study that passage, it has with it the idea, a verbal defense. So it is a verbal defending of our, of our position. And as we interact with people, as we come in contact with non-Christians, and they see the distinctiveness of our life, then Peter says that should cause them to ask a reason for the hope that's within us, right? And they may not come up and say, uh, Dave, uh, could you tell me the reason for the hope that's within you? For I have a plan for you. For I have a plan. But, but you know what? They say it in other ways, don't they? And, and they say it in many different ways. And if we are in tune with the Lord, which has to do with the first point, 
and, and we're out there rubbing shoulders with that being the focus of our life, then we're going to be in tune and sensitive to those cries when they come out. And hopefully we will then be the people that they can turn to to, to find that answer. So that's my first point, is, is the need to have an understanding of our, of our vision and our calling. The second point, I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anybody wants to comment at this point, before we move on to the second principle, feel free to do so. Do you have any, uh, any comments or observations? Yes. It's interesting that you uh, quote that. I, I'm uh, kind of a Christian under construction, but some of the navigators... Are Join the group here. Right. And I did happen to learn that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and I have found even many ministers when I'm speaking I'll say well that's the verse that's really meant something to me and you know there's all you can almost see it in their eyes they're thinking or in their mind what is that verse and that verse you know for I have a plan for you a plan for good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope that's been one verse that I've been able to use in the marketplace that even though it's basically I only know a few verses but that one has really touched people's hearts I think it, it, it gives them something to hang on to yeah so I, my thing would be to at least try to memorize that verse. So if you can memorize that verse, if a person asks you, you can quote that verse, and it really gives you something to, to give other people. Hmm. Just to and, again, part of the part of the preparation is 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 uh, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, and and, and 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 being in a position to where we can share that. We're not always going to be able to flip a Bible open with somebody. Matter of fact, most of the time we're not. So you're right, Dave. That's, it's critical to have some key verses that that God can use through us. What was that verse? Jeremiah 29:11. For I have a plan for you, a plan for good and not of evil. Years for calamities to give you a future and a hope. Charles. Yeah, I can give you an illustration of a real estate broker that we were doing business with, and uh, he had been coming to our office, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 times over the course of uh, a couple months, and we were dealing with him and attempting to acquire a, a small office building that we wanted to renovate and, and uh, resell. And as he came into our office, and we have a kind of unique situation where the, the guys in the office are, it's a small office and we're all committed to the ministry and, and uh, he came in there all these times and uh, apparently saw a difference in terms of just the atmosphere in general. And uh, one day my partner and I were, were meeting with John and, and uh, he came in for the meeting and he sat down and he said, listen, he said, you know, before we get started, he said, I know that, you know, we're here to talk about this building, but he said, before we get started, he said, he says, I got to ask a couple questions. And I'm uh, sure. And he said, uh, what do you guys do here? 
And uh, I thought for a minute, oh, that's an odd question. You know, he knows we're in the real estate development business. But he wasn't asking, what do we do in terms of our vocation there? And he said, well, you, you know what I mean. He says, there's, there's something different around here. He's got this room over here with all these tapes on the wall. And we have a, a little tape library that, we, that the guys uh, use and as a resource to listen to tapes as they're in their cars and so on. And uh, he said, I really uh, sense a difference in, in, in uh, your office here. And he said, I just wonder if you'd be willing to, to tell me about that. And so my, my partner, Tom, took off on that note and proceeded to share his testimony with him. And uh, uh, John came to Christ that afternoon. Now. That's not always the way I respond. I want to tell you that right off. I think that one of the critical issues for any of us is a willingness to respond spontaneously to the opportunities God brings into our life. And they're going to come into our life sometimes when we've got a whole lot of other things to do. We've got a whole lot of other things in our mind. And we really don't want to take the next hour out of our schedule. And we're going to have to work through that. There are going to be times when we can't do that. But just to be sensitive, and uh, uh, John is growing in the Lord, and, and, and that's been a few months now. And, but that was a, that's an illustration of what, in my opinion, was a person that was really asking for us to, to tell him about our hope in Christ. And he just didn't know how to ask it. So. Okay, let's look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 10, and the principle that I want to share here, the second principle is that we understand our personal responsibility. And the verse reads, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I believe that a critical part of motivating us, of keeping us on the cutting edge, of, of keeping our focus on the eternal, is that we see our personal responsibility to respond to God's call in our life. And not only to respond to God's call in our life, life but to in fact seek the call of Christ as a businessman, as a husband, as a father, as whatever we are, as a doctor, as a lawyer, to seek the call of Christ. That's what we're talking about with the priesthood of the believer. We have not only the right, but we have the responsibility to be involved in the, in the ministry of God. And I believe that the, that the issue, when it comes right down to walking it out, day by day. The issue is faithfulness to the opportunities that God has given us. And that's what I'd like to talk about at this point and focus in on our responsibility to, to, to respond to on the basis of the opportunities that God has given us. And I think it's important for us to, to see that we will never give an account on the basis of comparison with another person. 
as, as I look at the Bible, I will never have to stand before God and be compared with Winston Parker or anybody else. I will never have to, I will never be judged on the basis of how I did in comparison to another person. I will be judged on the basis of how I did with what God gave me. I'll be judged on the basis of my faithfulness to the opportunities that God has provided to me during this life here on earth. And the key issue for me as I've worked through it in my life is in, in, in seeing what are the opportunities God's given me is to focus in on my resources because I believe that our resources are our opportunities. And Walt elaborated on that some in terms of enumerating various resources, but I've kind of narrowed it down to basically our time, our gifts and abilities, our material possessions, and our relationships. And we can expand that list. But if we, if we hone in on those four things as being the resources that God's given us, our time, our gifts and abilities, our material possessions, and our relationships with people, those are the things that we will give a personal account for. How do we respond to those? And how do we handle the fact that in this fast-paced life, at least it's that way in Southern California, that there are unrelenting demands that come into each one of our lives that compete for those resources. Everybody wants a piece of them, right? Everybody wants some of our time, our material possessions, our gifts and abilities. And it becomes a very difficult thing. In fact, in my life, it becomes a struggle at times to determine how am I going to steward my resources? How am I going to handle and determine what I do with what God's given me? There are so many things that come my way, so many things that seem good that come my way. And one conclusion I've come to is, is that I will not be able to stand before God and blame other people for how I responded with my resources. That that is the one area where I will give a personal account. And so I've tried to, to devise a, a system. I, I know systems don't work all the time. It doesn't work all the time for me. And, and uh, this may even seem unbiblical. But uh, for me, it helps when I can have something to gauge things by. And so I have developed what has ended up being almost a uh, filter system for me of filtering through the various demands that come into my life that compete for my resources. And what I've done is I've tried to come up with the four categories that I feel the majority of these demands fall into. Let me just give them to you. In fact, let me just write it down. First category would be that which I believe is biblically right and feel personally called to. 
is something that, that, that I not only believe is biblically right, but I feel fits in with the vision and calling that I have for my life. That which I feel God has called me to. That which I feel God has asked me to participate with him in. So that's a particular category of request, and obviously the one that, that, that should receive the, the, the most consideration from me, the one that I really need to pray about. But secondly, the second category would be that which is biblically right, but I just don't personally feel called to it. I support it, I'm in favor of it, I feel it's biblically right, but it is, it is outside of the parameters of the specific vision and calling that I feel I have for my life. Third category would be that which I question as to whether that's biblically right. But apart from judging the motives of the people, I cannot categorically say it's wrong. Did I lose you on that one? I question as to whether or not it's biblically right. But apart from judging the motives of the people behind it, I cannot categorically say it's wrong. A lot of what comes at us through the television set may fall into that category. We, we look at it and we, we really question maybe whether or not it's even biblically right. But what would determine the rightness or wrongness may have to do with the motive behind it. So that is a, a particular area. And the fourth would be that which is I believe to be biblically wrong. I don't have any problem with this area. I'm not going to very easily fall into the trap of investing my resources in uh, the goals and objectives of the Mormon Church, for example. These are usually easy to discard. If we have worked through our vision and calling, then number one is also very easy to identify. These are the areas that are more difficult. And what I have found in my life in the past is that there have been times where I have looked back on my life maybe look back on the previous year. And I have found that I invested my resources maybe 0% here, maybe 20% here, and uh, maybe 60% here, and 20% here. Because we, we tend to just react to the demands that come into our life. So a lot of stuff comes in that's biblically right and it seems good and it's attractive to us and so we buy into it and it's really out of the parameters of what God has really gifted us and called us to do. And what I'd like to see happen in my life is I would like to see a proportion that might be uh, say 70%, 20%, and maybe even at times this area 
particularly when I feel that my involvement in it is going to be an encouragement to somebody that, that I believe God brought into my life. But this is what we want to strive for. So that's just a little filtering thing that enables me as, as things come my way, and, and you all experience the same thing, to really discard a whole lot of stuff and not spend a lot of time thinking about it. And, and, and merely hone in really on the on the few areas that God really wants me to give consideration to and to really pray about and, and, and think about. And so I, I just think that's that's been a helpful tool for me in uh, in responding to that area. The other comment I have on this is the fact that in, in my life, of, of all of my resources, the thing that has been the issue that affects all the other issues is the stewardship of my time. I find that I can talk a lot about my priorities, but if I don't invest the time in those areas, that it really is not much more than talk. And that to a great extent, how I allocate my time in terms of priorities will have a lot to do with the ultimate success that I experience as far as, as uh, using my resources in a manner that, that God would want me to. And so I've developed another little system. And this is uh, more of a benchmark than, than anything else. But I've, I've, I've made the assumption that God has given me 84 hours in a week for which I will give an account. That's based on 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, some of you may say I'm good for 14 or 16 hours a day of net productive time, and, and there, was a, there was a day when I would have said that, but I'm not, I'm, that's not where I'm at now. By the time I invest a certain amount of hours in, in sleep, and eating and getting dressed and taking a shower and all the other things that, that I have to do, I've got about 12 hours a day that I would call net effective time that I really need to be a steward over, that I, need to, that I will someday give an account for. So I have tried to say, Lord, how do you want me to spend that 84 hours? And for myself, I've developed a, an, an eight categories that pretty much cover the spectrum of where that 84 hours is spent during the week. And the categories are business or my vocation, Bible study and prayer, family time, time with my wife and kids, exercise, any civic or church responsibilities, recreation and reading kind of in one category. Recreation, reading, and reflection is actually what I have. Time or just to, to sit and think. 
to catch up on reading, to, to rest, to give the mind a chance to take some things in. And then the last category is ministry activities. And we all know that, that the Bible teaches that all of our life is to be spiritual, that we're not to compartmentalize, and, and, I, and I hope I'm not communicating that idea. But I do feel that there is a distinction between uh, a ministry activity in the sense of, uh, of going to a CBMC luncheon or a Bible study uh, and a time that I would spend with my family, just in terms of function, not that it's any more important. And so for myself, I've tried to say, okay, Lord, these are the areas that I spend my time in. This is what I do with my 84 hours. Now, what proportions do you want me to, to do them in? And to go before God and, and, to, and to allocate that time on the basis of, of how you feel between you and God, that he would have you spend it. <coughs> and it's tough. I'll tell you it's tough. It's tough when things start to go sideways at the office. And our first reaction is we've got to we got to grab the bull by the horn and we've got to keep this thing in, in harness and and you guys know as well as I do what happens we start we start uh, compromising our convictions in the other areas and our time in the word goes and our time with our wife goes and our exercise goes and we start setting aside or compromising these other areas because we believe that our business needs our personal involvement in order to pull itself out. And for me, what it is, is it becomes an issue of faith in trusting God with the results. Now, not that we're not going to ever modify it. Not that we're going to live legalistically by it, because that's not the purpose of it. We need to be able to respond spontaneously to the opportunities God gives us. But to be able to look back on it, say at the end of every week or two, and use it as a benchmark, and look at it and just kind of say, you know, how am I doing in terms of the priorities of my time? You may be right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I stand correct. Seven's the perfect number, right? Yeah, there are seven items, and, and, and there could be 20 items or there could be four items. There's nothing necessarily uh, unique about this. And, and the allocation of your time is a subjective decision between you and God. And so I'm not suggesting that, uh, th that there's any answer in terms of what that ought to look like. I'm only suggesting that it's an issue you ought to work through. And it's going to be different for one person than it's going to be for another. And it's, and it's something that you may work through and you may conclude that you need to change. But it, it can be a helpful tool to, to keep us from getting so far off the track. I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I would find myself uh, realizing that I was 10 miles off the track a month after I went off the track. I had nothing to. I had nothing that would serve as a lighthouse or as a benchmark to help pull me back, not to where somebody else is telling me I'm supposed to be, but pull me back to where I have determined before God 
that I believe God wants me to be. And so that has been a helpful tool in that area. Any thoughts? Any comments? Yes. The priority just up to the individual readings by the Spirit and these breakouts? I think I would say yes, personally. I don't think that I could draw from Scripture uh, the allocation of hours and say this is the way it ought to be. I haven't thought this through. We might be able to draw some conclusions on on a sequence of priority from Scripture. I can see a kind of a complicated approach to this in terms of fixed and variable. Uh, Are you an accountant? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, related to that guy, I don't know about the rest of you, but... See, if somebody came to me and said, you know, I've worked this thing out, I've prayed about it, I've gone before God with it, and I've come up with uh, 60 hours a week in my business, and, and so on and so on and so on, I would be the last person to question that. I would be the last person to argue with that. I, I don't think, I think we uh, are overstepping where we ought to be if we begin to legislate that area. I think the thing that I'm encouraging you to do is to walk through the process with yourself and God. Yes? Yes. Yeah, we, have, we talk a lot about it. Because it involves her, involves the kids and And we have particularly, uh, actually kind of came up with the whole idea of this, this kind of this filter thing to, to filter out demands on our time that, or our resources that we didn't feel were of God. We really came up with that together out of frustration as we were just taking our a walk we take uh, from time to time because we, we were frustrated with the fact that so many things were coming our way uh, that we, and we couldn't possibly do everything else. And, and the thing that happens is this. This is what I found. Somebody comes and asks you to do something. And it's good. And it's biblical. If you haven't worked through this process in your own heart with God to where you feel comfortable saying, you know, brother, I'm, I'm really behind that. I don't want to in any way communicate to you that I'm not in favor of what you're doing. But for me right now, it's just not where I believe God would have it. If you haven't done that, you're going to go, you're either going to say yes when you shouldn't, and then you're gonna, later you're going to go, oh, how in the world did I get myself in that? Or you're going to go away feeling guilty about having denied the person. 
And it, it, it comes into play with the, the same area as Paul brings out in Romans, I believe, where he says that, that happy is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who, somebody help me with that. Happy is he who is not condemned in what he approves. And I think it's verse 23. And the idea is that because we've gone before God and gotten his approval, See, God has already approved what we're doing. It gives us the courage to gracefully say no to people and feel good about it, feel okay about it. So it's a, it's a helpful thing and uh, was born out of frustration in our life in terms of being able to, to keep that thing uh, from sinking. Any other thoughts before we move on? Yes, sir. Sometimes if a person is a part of a small band of brothers that meet together on a weekly basis to pray and think together and share their lives, sometimes they can also assist us in, in keeping in focus because they will see things in our life from a little different perspective than we might. And uh, sometimes it can be very helpful to keep them on track. Yes. <laughs> Excellent point. Did everybody hear that? Kind of the idea of, a, of accountability group, particularly on the major decisions that are long-term commitments. To have some guys you can go to and say, you know, I've been asked to do this. I've been asked to take on this responsibility. It's going to take, it's going to be a two-year commitment or whatever. What do you guys think? That's an excellent point. Well, I think it's particularly pertinent if they're men you meet with regularly. Right. And you know you well, and you know them well, they love you, and you love them. Okay, let's move into the area of, of methods of ministry. And we'll take about 15 minutes on this. And I, ju I just want to say that in one sense I hesitate somewhat to talk about methods because I really believe that the ministry is more of a process than an event. And so I don't want to communicate the idea that my view of ministry is getting involved in a bunch of events. It is, it is in, in my belief, the ministry involves the process of influencing people, both Christian and non-Christian, toward a closer relationship with Christ. On the other hand, I know that God uses methods as tools in the process, and he I believe he uses the sharing of different methods to sometimes stimulate us or encourage us to get involved in certain areas. And so let me just uh, let me just mention too that one of the keys to using methods as a tool is that we keep our vision in focus that we keep our calling in focus, we keep our focus on the eternal and we know the end and we don't get bogged down in the means. Because it's real easy to get caught up in the, the methods and get to the place where the methods become an end in themselves. And the next thing you know, instead of uh, 
being involved in luncheons as an outreach to reach people for Christ, we end up in the, in the luncheon business. And uh, we're just involved in uh, the process of putting on this big luncheon and getting as many people as we can. And, you know, we're not bringing the, the, the uh, unbelievers to it and we, we lose the focus. So whatever methods we're involved in, it's critical that we keep our focus intact. Uh, share another thought from that. And this, I believe, can be supported scripturally in terms of the life of Christ. That his involvement was different with the multitudes than it was with the individual. And I think that the principle that comes out of this is the fact that we, we don't want to ever lose sight of the importance of the individual. We don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that we're attempting to reach people one at a time, that Christ died for each person, and that the importance of the individual is, is, is key to, to the ministry we're involved in. Now, we may be involved in the multitudes. We may be involved in a large luncheon or something of that nature. But the purpose changes a little bit. Let me just give you this illustration. The multitudes in the life of Christ involve primarily preaching and teaching. He intensified his involvement when he went from the multitudes to the twelve. Illustrations of when he would share uh, with the multitudes and then pull away with the twelve to explain a parable, for example. And so when he moved in to the smaller group, his involvement intensified and his involvement was primarily in the area of training. And then his involvement with the three, Peter, James, and John, involved imparting his life. By example, by drawing them in to a very close, unique fellowship with him, by uh, including them in, in situations that would have profound influences on them, by modeling his life before them. So we have the idea of, of preaching and teaching, training, and then imparting of our life. And if we, if we model our methods after the idea that we, we, we never want to ignore the multitudes, we always want to take opportunity to preach the gospel, to see people exposed to the gospel. But that probably should not be the core of what we do. And as we begin to get involved in the lives of people, we then 
kind of hone our involvement down somewhat. And then it'll, it'll intensify a little more. We'll spend more time. We'll spend uh, more quality time individually with people. And the training process comes in. And then as we, we hone it down even more, the idea of imparting. Now, Winston wanted me to share specifically how this concept relates methods in terms of methods and in, in what we're doing in San Diego. And let me just give you these. I don't think there's going to be anything real, real new to you. But working from the concept of the multitude and, and moving down with that, we were involved in, in uh, men's retreats, couples' retreats, outreaches, uh, which are geared to, to reach the unsaved, obviously. And then we do what we call in-reaches, which are the same type of meeting, same platform, uh, pulling together uh, similar to a situation like this, but maybe at, at an actual luncheon in a similar platform to what you would see as a CBMC luncheon, but having it geared to Christians, having the, 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 uh, the message and everything geared to, to building up the Christians. <clears throat> and then we have implemented the idea of group meetings, which is primarily pooling together Bible studies. I, I noticed the cards out here. You guys have a, looks like a half a dozen or so Bible studies around the city, and we've got the same situation. And what we'll do from time to time, particularly if we have a speaker and somebody in town that, that uh, could minister to the group, is for that week just pool all the Bible studies and come together at, at one common place, maybe in the morning before work, and, and have uh, a, a time together. And then, as the group gets smaller, we're, we're involved in, in actual Bible studies, and then, of course, individual one-on-one uh, -on -one personal time with people, which I believe is where a lot of the key issues like purpose and, and vision and understanding our calling and accountability, uh, coming to grips with our value system, what is the ministry, these kind of things are often worked through on that one-on-one -on -one level or in a small group, accountability group type level. There's a, uh, let me just close with a couple of illustrations. There's a, uh, a group of guys in, uh, just to show you how one event level thing can influence another, uh, about a year and a half ago we had a men's conference, and at that men's conference some guys were, were really challenged to target their particular area for Christ, which happened to be the downtown San Diego business area. And uh, about two, three months after this conference was over, I had, there were, there were four individual people that independently of one another had called me and asked me what I thought about trying to organize something that would specifically target the downtown area for Christ. And the guys didn't know that the other ones were interested in it. So we got together and, and uh, had a meeting and, and uh, the thing began to develop and these guys just, just took this thing on, and, and it, was, it was with uh, 
with fervor and with creativity and it was I mean they were tackling this thing with the same commitment they would tackle their business and I, and I think we need to learn from that we're not going to see a major impact if we try to do it on the backstroke and there's a point where we're, we, we've got to hone in and, and, and really get creative and try to determine how we're going to reach certain segments and that, that's what these guys did they put this thing together they decided to do it uh, primarily through getting Bible studies started and some outreaches and uh, from that has developed a, another group of people that were put together that, that are all non-Christians and I've been meeting with these guys since the first of May on the relevance of Christianity to today and uh, these guys are all, 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 all five of them uh, non-Christians and so the, the, the methods are unlimited and uh, we all could share all kinds of ideas the issue is uh, where we're motivated and, uh, and where our focus is and what our vision is and what we feel God's called us to and uh, I think taking seriously our participation in fulfilling the Great Commission and uh, allowing God to use us where we're at and uh, seeing that that God's given each one of us an area of influence that we can impact for him so uh, any thoughts or uh, Anything that you're involved in that you want to share that might encourage somebody? Sure. What's the kind of spiritual climate in San Diego? Do you find people easily uh, approach on the subject of God, or do you find people um, um, sort of seeing that as somewhat of an irrelevant issue? I think there's a there's a, a mixed deal on that. I think there are a lot of people that are just, I mean, they're focused in on on, on their career and, and chasing the buck, and it is a, it is a real fast pace, and it's just it's not relevant to them at this point as far as they're concerned. But there are a whole lot of people that are very very open to it, and uh, this particular group that got put together, a guy in the uh, main office of Coldwell Banker in downtown San Diego, an office of about 60 salesmen in commercial real estate. And he's Christian. He just went around and he asked five guys, five non-Christians in that office, if they would be willing to, to meet with he and I for four weeks to talk about the relevance of Christianity. And all five of them bought into it. And that was the first of May. And at their insistence, we are still meeting. As a matter of fact, last Wednesday we met, and the whole time was centered around the verse that's been quoted a couple times here today, where Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? And that, that was kind of the, the, the key verse for our discussion with five non-Christians that are out there making big bucks in the fast lane in business and have all openly admitted that they are empty, that they're lacking contentment and purpose in their life and it's so there's a tremendous openness uh, with lots and lots of people in, in, in Southern California yes if uh, you, you came down with the 
uh, a max time limit of 12 hours and, and uh, a list of these priorities. Uh, you just plugged into those uh, one day and that was it, right? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I follow your... Uh, would you address the... Uh, um, some of the, the anguish you went through in, in uh, developing these time slots? Uh, you know, what our responsibility is, is I'm working through that, is uh, they're not the same as, as what the world would tell you. Uh, your businessmen are going to tell you, you put in long hours, you're, you're going to reach success. Yeah. And as Christians, we begin to develop conflict with that. And uh, you know, when your priority structure, you know what it should be, and you try and put it in force, it creates some contention. Could you address that for a short time? Uh, just speaking personally, uh, <laughs> I would say, first of all, that I'm not sure you can eliminate the tension. I have not been able to eliminate the tension, let me say. Uh, this allocation of time has served as a, as a benchmark, uh, so to speak, to help let me know when I'm getting off track. It, it is not a magic formula to being on track. I found in my life that a good part of my problem was is that I had been off track for a long time before I realized I was off track. And I believe that when we go out into the world, there is the risk of becoming entangled in it. And Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 2 that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. And, so that he may serve the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And as I thought about that, and I thought about what is entanglement, I, I came to the conclusion that for me, entanglement was when the focus of my life shifted from the eternal to the temporal. <coughs> and so I began to think through things that I could do to help keep the focus of my life on the eternal versus the temporal. Now, to me, that does not mean that I never slip over into temporal thinking. Uh, maybe you guys are there. I'm not there. But I think there's a difference between living your life with an eternal focus as the normal flow of your life and occasionally slipping over into the temporal focus versus living your life in the temporal arena as the normal flow of your life and occasionally flipping over into the eternal. And so, for me, working through that was merely a tool to help keep that in focus. And, uh, you know, every one of us are in a different situation in terms of what that ought to look like. Uh, certainly, you got to start with something, and I, I can tell you that I worked through and prayed through a number of different <coughs> models of that before I settled on what I felt was where God wanted me to be. And I, I'm still not sure that it's going to stay right there. And I think as we go through changes in life, in terms of the age of our kids, in terms of our involvement in work and all these things, 
know, we can't see this as a rigid thing. But I just think if you begin to work through it, how much, uh, you know, how much time do you feel God, a good place to start is the Word and prayer. How much time do you feel God wants you to spend in the Word and prayer? If we, well, let's say we take that as a, as a, as a first priority. Carve it out. How much time are you obligated to spend in your work? And so on. teaches that all of life is to be spiritual. That there is no distinction in the Bible between the spiritual and the secular. That the distinction is between the temporal and the eternal, and that has to do with the focus of our life, not the outward activity of our life. But the practical matter is, is that I will in fact spend my time doing certain things. And so with with that as an underlying basis, that, that all things are spiritual, that, that there is no distinction between the secular and spiritual. That it may be that going to the ball game with my son may be the most spiritual thing I do all week. Okay? With that as an underlying premise, I have to face the fact that how I spend my time is going to be important. And that I do, in fact, spend my time in doing particular things. And what I was what was happening to me and, and, and tends to happen to me is I can have good intentions with my priorities and have good intentions in, in these areas. But when I walk out into the marketplace, it sucks me up. And it doesn't want 30 hours. It doesn't want 40 hours. It doesn't want 50 hours. It wants 60, 70, 80. It wants whatever it can get. And it screams for more. And you never get ahead. And the more you make, the more you want, and that's the value system of the world. The value system of the world is, provides the opposite of contentment. It provides an insatiable desire for more. And so, to keep myself from getting sucked into that, I, I do have to be concerned with what am I in fact doing with my time. I can say, boy, I love my kids. Oh, my son is a priority to me. And, so, and you look at my life and you go, 
Well, that really sounds good, and you probably really mean that. But as I've looked at your life, you spend about 10 minutes a week with him. And I can say, well, yeah, but that's quality time. <laughs> and you, you're going to come back and you're going to say, baloney. You can't have quality time if you only spend 10 minutes. That it's going to take a certain degree of quantity in order to have quality. And in my life, the thing that screams the loudest is the business. I never seem to get too, uh, uh, to get heavy on my time investment in Bible study and prayer or exercise. Maybe some of you do with exercise. Or time with my kids. It seems to be the business. Now, maybe that's just the way I'm wired. But it's, it seems like when, when my priority system goes off whack, that what has happened is that business area has inflated and the other areas have deflated. And so what I've done is I've allowed my business to determine what is valuable to me, what is important to me, and what is a priority to me by default. By just letting it suck up whatever it wants as opposed to telling it what I'm going to give it and trusting God with the results. That's why I say, ultimately, it's, a, it's, it's an act of faith to do it. And, 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 and let me say again that, that I am not so rigid with it that I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I've worked my X hours this week, I cannot attend this meeting, or I cannot fulfill a responsibility that I have to someone, because that doesn't make any sense. But I'm talking about as a general benchmark. I like to look at it more in terms of proportions of my time than specific hours. You almost could do it by writing down percentages instead of hours, if you know what I'm saying. Let's say out of the 84 hours you ended up with 8.4 hours on a given thing, that might be looked at as 10% of your time as opposed to you know, a specific number of hours. you mentioned uh, the verse about always being ready to give a defense, uh, and you mentioned that on a more active uh, theme, you are meeting with five non-believers. Do you have other kinds of active things that you do in your business life in order to present the, the claims of Christ? Other than just being ready for someone to go up and ask you, I believe that uh, this is my personal view of, of evangelism. I believe that evangelism is more of a process than an event. And I base that on 1 Peter 3.15. Now, I, I'm not saying by, by, by making that statement that I don't think that God uses event-level things, or that we aren't to verbally share, but I'm merely stating that I see it as more of a process than an event. So, that I can be content with the fact that I may not be involved in some specific evangelism programs that other people may, you know, be participating in, uh, because maybe I'm, I'm involved in some other things. 
we had a uh, we have a guest house at our place, and we it's something we've kind of dedicated to the Lord to, to make available for people when they they come into town and so on. And, and we had a, a a lady stay with us from Cleveland who has been a long time, 20 year friend of the family and uh, not a Christian and just gone through a rough divorce and she came in and she need, needed uh, came out here to stay with us and she was with us for about a month and during that period of time uh, she made contact with a friend of hers in La Jolla who was a, again an old line friend of her family 55 year old guy Jewish fella and uh, was getting reacquainted with him and wanted to invite him over for dinner at our house. So we said, fine, you know, have him over. Well, he brought another fellow. And here's these two guys, both of them non-believers, and they're in our home, which, which I personally feel is maybe apart from the marketplace, the most conducive place for evangelism that God's given us. And... Uh, we had just gone through a, a, a troubled situation in our family. A, 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 uh, my, my son's, one of my son's closest friends' father had died the night before uh, of a heart attack, just boom, 47 years old. And uh, we had just found out about it 10 or 15 minutes before these two, two men came. And so my son got a couple calls and people wanted him to come over to be with his buddy because the guy was really struggling with it and having a hard time and, and so Robbie said, you know, Dad, do you mind if I go ahead and leave and cut out before dinner because I really need to go see Mike and so I said, sure, go ahead. Well, that happened right before these guys got there. So we got through the, the cordials and everything and we're, we're getting ready to sit down at the table and I just asked that we all hold hands and, and pray for these friends. And, uh, so there we were, standing around our table outside on the patio, holding hands, and these, these uh, two 55-year-old uh, bachelors uh, living in La Jolla, uh, real pagan guys, are standing there, and, and you know, we're praying for my son, and that he'll be able to be a comfort to this family, and just the, the, the normal things that, that we would think about praying during a, a time like that. I had no idea how it was impacting this one guy. And a week later, he came over again to see this friend from Cleveland that was staying in our house and asked if he could talk to me. He started opening up his heart about these problems he was having and, and, and all of this. One thing led to another, and uh, we got together for lunch, and he told me, he said, I don't know what it is, but he said, there's something different when I was at your house. And uh, he said, I feel like you might be able to help me. So we got together. And he had some real serious problems that I didn't really feel real equipped to address. But I, I did share with him the fact that Christ was the center of our life. And I believe that that was the foundation for dealing with any problems. And we're sitting right there at lunch at the Westgate Hotel and shared the bridge illustration with him and walked him through the gospel. And the guy committed his life to Christ right there. And uh, he's now involved in a Bible study. The guy is, uh, he's growing and he's excited. And I, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And so I don't know, you know, active things, that's, that's more the, w the way I see it. We, we obviously are involved in, in sponsoring outreach luncheons and things of that nature. We get actively involved in the follow-up after a luncheon and, 
you know, sharing Christ with people during follow-up and all that. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is uh, I'm struggling with trying to be more actively involved in in uh, ministering the Lord in the workplace as opposed to sort of sitting back. And I think for years I've, I've just kind of sat back and said that hopefully someone will see something in my life and will come to me. Um, and as I'm beginning to do that, I'm seeing more and more opportunities, and, I, and now I'm trying to struggle with, you know, where is the balance there? I mean, uh, I, haven't, I haven't started witnessing to all my clients yet, but, I, but about a week ago I, I did witness to a client, and uh, I'm just trying to sort that out. Yeah, I, I think that, that, that understanding our vision and calling, and really, really working that through, and working through the implications of 1 Peter 3.15 will equip us to be sensitive and, and know when to share, when not to share, and, and how to properly be an ambassador for Christ in the marketplace. I don't think there's a formula for it myself.